1 Corinthians chapter 13, we read them at weddings. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envied, love does not boast. Blah, blah, blah. It's all about the spiritual gifts, actually. All right, that was funny. Never mind. <clears throat> Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, can that be said of you? Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. So now he's going to explain. There are some of these spiritual gifts that build up you, but there's some of these spiritual gifts that build up the church, and you're to desire those ones above all. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Does that make sense? If I pray in a tongue, my mind is unfruitful because my mind has no idea what I'm saying. My spirit does, but my mind, my flesh has no idea. I don't, I don't get it. And then it says, so what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. Oh, so there's two. There's an understanding, the flesh prayer, and there's the spirit prayer. Okay, I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. So not only the prayer, but the singing. You've got the spirit, and we have the flesh side of it. This is cool. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else say, who is not to put in this position of an outsider, say, amen to your thanksgiving, since they don't know what you're saying. So Paul's immediately telling the church in Florida, hey, time out. Y'all can't just start speaking in these tongues and these unknown languages. Because an outsider will come into your church service and sit there and go, what in the world's happening? There's confusion. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Because they can't say amen. They don't know that you're saying Jesus Christ saves and loves you no matter what you did last night. Because you're off speaking in this tongue, and that's just what they need. So don't do that. That's what Paul's writing. Don't do that, church. Remember, the gifts do have guidelines. Because God is not a God of chaos. God is a God of order. And there's order to this. And that's all what Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And it goes on. You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. No one else that is speaking in the tongues is edified but you. That's your spirit and the Holy Spirit. But we got to edify the body. When believers come together, it's the edification of the body. And then it continues. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Isn't that great? He's like, hey. Paul's even telling church, stop with this tongue speaking because it's chaotic in the church service. Don't do that. I would rather only get up on the stage and give a message with five words and sit down than sit here and speak a thousand words in a tongue. No. So there's guidelines to it. I love how the message writes it in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It reads this way. If you praise him in the private language of tongues, God understands you. For you are sharing intimacies between you and him. That gift is the edification or the encouragement of your soul with Holy Spirit. And Paul's just saying, hey, that's great, but pursue these gifts that edify the whole body when you're together. So is that making sense, friends? All right. So I know, I know there's a lot of, like, it's a subcategory. It's like, I, I know a lot of people have a lot of confusion and stuff like that, but there's boundaries with this. Here's another one. Oh, prophecy. Um, let me be careful how to say this. 
I think a lot of times today when we hear prophecy, a lot of it has to do with end times and predicting too much, if you will, I'm going to say too much of the future, right? We got people that will come on the stage and say, Jesus will come back on this day. Do you know what happens? He doesn't come back. We're still here. And prophecy has turned and become that. Let's see what actually is written. What Paul or Peter is talking to the crowds. This is, the, I believe, the prophet Joel. He says this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So what is this word prophecy? How is it actually used in scripture so we can get a biblical understanding of this gift, a correct understanding if we've seen it abused too many times? So here is one way. There's two ways it's used in scripture. Number one, foretelling. This is the message of the future. About 20% of the time, when you see the word prophecy, it's used about telling the message of the future. Only 20% of the time. In fact, during the season we celebrate the birth of Jesus, 700 years before the time of Jesus, a guy by the name of Isaiah, a prophet, a mouthpiece for God to the people, actually prophesied about this day, this celebration that we call Christmas, about the coming of Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, 700 years before Jesus came, the prophet Isaiah says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is a good and encouraging prophecy, is it not, friends? Is it scary? Is it destructive? Absolutely not. And we're going to get into that in a moment. But that was prophesied about a beautiful, encouraging event that was going to take place 700 years before he said that. Now that's one, if you will, arm of prophecy. There's one other arm, and it's forth-telling. Forth-telling means it's a message of encouragement. 80% of the time prophecy is used, it's used that way. So if someone says, I have a prophetic word for you, I have a prophetic word, and I come and I say, Jeff Carey, I have a prophetic word for you, what is this message going to be? Is it going to be, my prophetic word is, I know every sin you have ever done. <laughs> Your wife may know more than that than I do, but no, it's going to say, hey, Jeff, I have a message of encouragement. I just think what you're doing right now in your family is amazing and God is so happy with you right now. Who would not want to receive that? I'll be honest, I pray for this gift every day. I pray for prophecy every day. What, am I, what, do, what do I mean when I pray for this gift? I just mean that I get a prophetic word that I can go up to someone and encourage them. Who would not want to encourage someone? That's what I'm praying for. In fact, you want to test prophecy if it's actually from Scripture or from an evil spirit? Paul actually tells us, remember, guidelines. 1 Corinthians 14 is the guidelines for some of these hot potato spiritual gifts. But the one who prophesies or prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. If it does not match those three things, I would highly question if it's from God. 
But we don't see this a lot. We see this abused and gone this direction or that. No, a prophetic word comes in or you get something, you better make sure, test it. If you ever receive someone that says, I got a prophetic word from you, you immediately take it to scripture and says, is it strengthening, encouraging, or comforting to me? And if it's not, throw it away. Throw it away. Paul's giving guidelines. How is it used? And I love what he continues to say after that guideline. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. It's an encouraging word. Why would we not want it? But I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. I would rather have you do that. Why? Because that builds others up. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone can interpret so that the church may be edified. And then I love how he opens up chapter Follow the way of love and eagerly desire these gifts, their charisma. Eagerly desire them, especially what, friends? That's the one he tells us to be eager for, especially prophecy. I'm sitting here going, why that one? Again, we live in a world and the enemy is after your soul. How many of you know you need a word of encouragement? How many of you need to know that your heavenly father loves you and is proud of you and not beat down all the time and not listen to the world, what the world tells you who you are? You need that encouraging word. And Paul's sitting there going, desire that one. Desire that one. That's going to strengthen. That's going to comfort and encourage someone. Desire that gift. It's a prophetic. Is this making sense? All right. Let me, let me share Two quick stories with this. Um, number one, uh, there was a pastor that was training a bunch of college students. This is an amazing story. And uh, he was just training a bunch of college students, and they weren't in ministry. They were just all sorts of things. And he was running like a college-age life group, a small group. And one guy in his group was actually going to go be a uh, med student for six months in another country. He didn't know what country yet, but they prayed over the student because he was going to be leaving soon. And his visa, his six-month visa, Visa should be coming soon to him. And again, it's all through the school. He didn't know where he was going, but he had to do this for six months. And so the pastor's just like, can I pray for you? And he's praying for me. And he sits there and goes, I just feel from the Lord that there's a spirit of Thomas on you. And the student goes, well, I don't want that. That's the disciple who doubted Jesus, right? Like, seriously, that? And he was actually like a little upset. Like, how dare him? Why would that one be on me? Like, really, God? And, so, and he's like, I don't know what to do with it. And a couple days later came in. He's got a visa to India for six months to be a med student over there. Do you know, after Jesus went back to heaven, where Thomas became a missionary to the people of India? That's a prophetic word for that young college med student sit there and go I'm going over here not just to learn medical stuff and be with the people of India but I'm going to bring them the good news of Jesus Christ and that was just said over him encouraging uplifting maybe in the moment the student was like what Thomas come on like at least give me Peter the rock right like something like that all right, uh, here's the other one. I, I told you about a time of prophetic prayer time for my wife and I. I. I told you last week a little bit about that story. That was about a 15-minute prayer done so gently. Um, in fact, I don't remember, babe. I don't remember if it was your phone or my phone, but they encouraged us. Um, it was a brother and a sister, 
They worked beautifully together. Their gifting, their gifting, each of them had a special gifting and it worked beautiful in combination. That's what's, that's what's supposed to happen in the body of Christ. When we work together, oh, the message of God spreads like crazy. It's beautiful. And um, I don't remember if it was your phone, my phone, something, but he said record the prayer so we can go back and to listen to it. And the number one he thing is also record the prayer because if anything in my gifting that I'm going to say to you does not match scripture, throw it away. Right? So he set the boundaries. It was beautiful. And in the midst of it, I'm just going to rip my heart open, at least on my end, and you can ask my wife if she's willing to share some other ends. But most of you do not know how badly I condemn myself. I will get off this stage and sometime this afternoon I will beat myself up for something I said to you. I will. And I get angry and I'm sitting there going, oh man, I'm, and then I apologize profusely. I'm sorry, God, I just took that and that I didn't mean to, man, and I hope that would just go away and that they don't hold that over me because I was crazy in that moment or whatever. I've never met this man or this woman, this brother and sister combo. And in that prayer time, He's praying over me and my wife, but he's got his hands and he's like kissing my forehead, which is a little weird, right? It's just like, I'm sweating and crying. Yeah, that's gross. But he kept just kissing my forehead and says, there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. And you don't know how badly I needed to hear that. That was encouraging and uplifting. He had no idea how much I beat myself up for things I do, but I needed that. He just kept saying it, and I felt the love of God just wash over me. It was awesome. These are good gifts when we fully understand how they're used and what, the, what ways they're supposed to be used. And here's the last one. I'm landing the plane. Are we still all right? Are we still all right? All right. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, or some other people call it the infilling with the Holy Spirit. This can confuse people. Um, whatever you want to call it, you know what? Um, we live in Michigan. Some of you live in Indiana, but we're all Americans and live in the United States of America. So some people call it baptism in the Holy Spirit, infilling of the Holy Spirit, tomato, tomato. It's the same thing, okay? Um, Here's where it's, um, John the Baptist actually says this in Mark chapter 8, or 1, verse 8. I have baptized you with water, but he, referring to Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And this has got a lot of people confused what exactly this word baptize means. It means to submerse or surround or completely engulfed. Hear me on this. I think there's a lot of Christians today that you have the Holy Spirit because you are saved and God has changed your heart and when you die, you are good. You're going to heaven, right? But you haven't been baptized or immersed everything that Holy Spirit has for you. And my fear is that in discipleship within Christian churches, what we do is we just get people saved and say, hey, you have fire, or fire insurance, That means you're not going to go to hell if you didn't get that one. Okay. <laughs> I'm afraid that's where we stop. And we're like, oh, good, I'm saved for all eternity. God loves me. Absolutely. I'm forgiven. Absolutely. But there's more for you. There's more. Because we, there's gifts for you. There's a spiritual gift. You've got charisma to use to edify and lift people up and to bring people the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm just afraid that we haven't, too many of us just haven't opened the box. 
And the devil wants us not to open the box. He wants you to sit there and say, just call this good. And we go about our days and we sit there and go, I, I, I go to church, I try to read my Bible and pray and I'm good. This, has, this will change your life when you decide to open and immerse yourself and be consumed with Holy Spirit and the things of the Lord. It will change you. It'll change the way you say that joke. It'll change the way you date. Change the way you parent. It will change the way you and your spouse interact with one another. We all have, if you're saved this morning, you and I, we all have the same amount of Holy Spirit. There's only the Holy Spirit. But some of us, we've given more to Him than others have. That's baptism. So let me ask you a question. Are you giving your entire life back to Jesus? Entire life. Because Jesus gave his entire life for you. Are you giving it back to him? Or are you just giving him your Sunday morning thing? So remember I started out this message by saying this. We looked at Acts. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The power was promised. There's gifts that are coming. They were promised. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Look what he says next. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea, which is the surrounding area, and Samaria, which is the area that they were half-breed Jews that they didn't like, their enemy territory, and the ends of the earth. Not only was the power promised to the disciples and the power's promised to you and I, the power was purposed. It had reasoning to receive the Holy Spirit and to receive gifts. It had power. And the power was promised and purposed. And what Paul's writing to the church in Corinth is some of you are just abusing the purpose. And stop. And I know we're probably going to fall in two different categories this morning. Some of you fall in this other, this category, number one, and you're sitting there going, oh yeah, Ryan, preach it. People need to desire the gifts more. And you've got your tambourine and you're ready to be like, I'm ready, let's go, right? Some of you are there. Let me remind you of something. What Paul reminds the church in Corinth, follow the way of what, friends? Love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And if you're that person sitting there going, yeah, let's give me more gifts and let's go. And your tambourine is ready. Love must guide and drive everything you do. Because the people in Corinth were making a big deal in elevating the gifts of tongue and the gift of prophecy over all the other 25 gifts. Develop yours. And this isn't used unless it's used in love. And we have to understand that. And then there's the other camp. Some of you are over here. Sitting there going, yeah, Ryan, tell those holy rollers, knock it off. They're a little too wild. May I remind you, at salvation you have the Holy Spirit and he's given you a spiritual gift. You got to find yours. Because your gifts are in you for the people around you. And unless you allow the gifts to flow through you, you can't impact those around you. So it's a puzzle. It doesn't have to be a hot potato, but part of the puzzle 
You know what the most important piece of this entire puzzle is? Top of the box. I could pour out all these pieces all over the place and it would take us probably a while to finally figure out how big is this, how many pieces are there, what is this actually for. The top of the box is the most important piece. And 2,000 years ago, in this little country right over here in Israel, in this little city of Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit was poured out on people. And it was poured out on people, not just for those in Jerusalem, but for Samaria and Judea and to the outer ends of the earth. It was meant for everyone and everything. I believe that here we are in this little state of Michigan, in a little city of Sturgis, that the Holy Spirit wants to pour out not only here in this church of Radiant Life, but not only in our city, but he wants to saturate our state. And God forbid, we all know this nation needs a fresh outpouring and we need to explore into the United States of America and send people out to be missionaries to reach everyone for Jesus Christ. That is why the Holy Spirit was given. So church, 2,000 years ago, there was a little carpenter Jewish boy that was born and his name was Jesus. Many people should put him aside, not realizing he was the Messiah, he was the savior of this world. But oh, did joy come 2,000 years ago to spread the joy and good news that there's a God who loves you and deeply cares for you. That forgiveness of sins is here. That bondage into sin can be broken and you can be redeemed and free. And church, there's joy. Let's go spread that joy to the whole world. These gifts are good. So church, will you stand together as we close with a beautiful Christmas carol titled Joy to the World.